I just uh, forgot my Robert Alter translation of the Psalms because we're going to be looking at Psalm 27 here. So if you uh, like to look along, you can open your open your Hebrew Bible to Psalm 27. Should be about roughly in the middle of the Bible. It's, I'm just I'm just doing filler here while I while I find Psalm 27 myself. Okay, good. So maybe backing up a little bit. Um, what, what's really the point of engaging any ancient writing, including these uh, writings that we call sacred or scripture? We all have our reasons, but um, mine was clarified uh, when I saw one of my favorite movies. I think it was like nine, 2019 or 18, um, the movie Arrivals with Amy Adams as, a, I think, a linguistics professor. And she's called on by the military when a spacecraft from somewhere else hovered over a field in Montana, I think it was. I think there were 12 of these alien spacecrafts you know, around the world, and ours was in Montana, um, surrounded, of course, by, by massive military presence. Uh, the professor has been called in to decode any communication that might be forthcoming from the craft. So eventually, beings from beyond emerge from the craft, projecting, I guess, a transparent uh, force field behind which they, they, they trace out circles in various configurations. It's not like uh, audible speech. It's more like these circular, circular sign language. Um, the generals, of course, are like primed to, um, to discern hostile intent. Um, but so it's kind of up to Amy Adams to disprove, uh, disprove the default hypothesis of the military. Um, and, but for Amy Adams' uh, character, this is like the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, what kind of intelligence do, do they have coming from some other place in the universe? What, what do they know that we don't? How do they do they communicate? How do they communicate? Do, do they have language or something else? What do we know that they don't? What do they know that we don't? Do we share anything in common just because we inhabit the same universe despite coming from different worlds? It's just like, oh my gosh. Well, ancient writings are like communications from another world. Uh, their perceptions were born of different, a whole different cultural, historical, linguistic lenses that, like all lenses, including ours, obscure some things and, and reveal other things. So we can approach these ancient writings like the generals and arrivals, you know, suspicious, ready to read, hostility of intention, or like the Amy Adams character, just curious to understand their take on things because it's from such a different place, especially those things that our cultural and historical lenses might filter out. So what is their version of humanity like? Um, their way of expressing their emotions, their way of engaging uh, transcendent realities, their perception of the natural world, what, what interests them, what concerns them. Think of all the communications from what, 2,500 years ago, that's when the Psalms were compiled probably and when the, um, the, the southern Israelites from Judah were deported to 
Babylon after the destruction of the first temple. Um, think of all the communications from that time period that have been completely lost to us, but these have somehow been preserved. What do they contain that might be helpful to us, even, even it possibly expand our perceptions? Well, here's one, Psalm 27, so ably, ably read to us today. The Lord is my light and my rescue. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life stronghold. Of whom should I be afraid? So this, this is a person who's um, just normalized to threats, um, you know, is surrounded by threats. And, and any threat can be, whether it's real or imagined, um, is, you know, evocative of fear. And the fear is always real. I mean, I, I can relate. Um, the more aware of, I, I feel like, in this this year, last couple of years, I've been more aware of threat than any time in my life. And that includes growing up with drills in, in school for nuclear war. We, we didn't have the need for active shooter drills, but for like Cold War turning into a hot war. It, it feels now in 2022 like, man, like our social fabric is is really fraying. Our, our institutions are not as robust as they once were and seem under kind of basic attack, voting rights and all, all kinds of issues. How, how close are we to civil war? I mean, people are talking about civil war. First time in my lifetime that I hear that seriously discussed. Uh, I got an email from IHA, my health provider, Man, it was about like, you know, what, what's going on with COVID at St. Joseph local hospital here and who gets tested when and those kind of things. And it ends with this paragraph, like a warning, like, um, you know, um, we will not tolerate any violence. We will not t tolerate any hostile language. We won't tolerate like what is going on in the healthcare system that the providers feel like they need to remind us to be like civilized when we engage the healthcare system like you know how bad is this variant omicron uh, what's the next variant going to be like you know that not to mention the many ways that many of you experience threat that I, I never will especially since this person from long ago and far away has experienced um god as as a rescue a stronghold a safe refuge when surrounded by threats. I'm, I'm really curious, what's that like? Um, how does one practice that? Um, well, first they express the powerful emotions uh, that people have when they feel threatened. Like this, when evil doers draw near to me to eat my flesh, my foes and my enemies are they, they trip and they fall. So this psalm, uh, the psalms in general give considerable attention to one particular threat experience, not so much disease or natural disasters, but the hostility of other people. That's the real focus of threat in the psalms. And they express something that isn't very easy to express openly, at least like in, in I don't know, professional white collar culture, um, that is injury anger and the profound uh, vulnerability 
that goes along with experiencing anger that's produced by a personal injury from hostile other people. In, in many settings, it's just not cool to express injury anger uh, or the rage that comes with betrayal, especially. But these writings from long ago and far away have no problem with that. I mean, Job uh, freely expresses injury anger. Jesus, too, in John's Gospel, freely expresses it. It's at, at times, it's kind of uncomfortable to listen to it. So let's stay with this uh, for a little bit here before we finish off the psalm. We, we've all been in settings that uh, inhibit expression of emotion or impose pressure to only express it if it can be like perfectly proportional, you know, like not exaggerated and yet honest. Uh, depending on our personality or upbringing, we might spend so much energy getting it pitch perfect that there's no energy left to actually express it the way it really feels um, before we mute the feeling with all our freaking balance and proportionality. Um, nuance doesn't cut it when you're dealing with injury anger because injury anger is stark like this when evil doers draw near me to eat my flesh my foes and my enemies are they uh, not so long ago i accessed some injury anger that i had suppressed years earlier when the injury occurred because there were were just other priorities at the times didn't have that time to deal with it and the injury anger went, um, as it does sometimes when we can't metabolize it, um, you know, at the point of injury, it went like underground. But after some years, it wanted to see the light of day, but I was ignoring it. So it would come up in dreams um, where I was getting attacked by bears and then like one time wild dogs. And uh, one time I'm walking down my street in Detroit, Gilchrist, and I uh, where I grew up and there's this, this like alligator-like creature in the middle of the road. And as soon as it notices me, boom, it just takes off after me. And I wake up in a fright, kicking my bed covers off. This line in Psalm 27 depicting evildoers drawing near that eat my flesh caught my attention because of these dreams and, and the words of the psalm gave me words to express my injury anger consciously. And, and as I found places to do that, safe, you know, appropriate places to do that, um, these disturbing dreams have, have really obeyed. Last night we saw, uh, Julie and I were I turned on the uh, news and we saw news about a, a gunman holding a rabbi and four members of his synagogue hostage in a, uh, in a Dallas synagogue. Just then, Julia gets a call from a friend saying that Temple Beth Emmet, our um, host congregation here in Ann Arbor, had just sent an email announcing a service to pray. Uh, it was like a uh, end of Sabbath service because of this thing going on in Dallas. So we logged on. Um, there were 140 devices tuning in at such no notice, just from an email that goes out, a Facebook post. Um, and you could just, you know, with, with rising hate crimes, including anti-Semitism, our Jewish friends, many with parents or grandparents who survived the Holocaust, some who knew someone killed in the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, 
Um, I, I went to a memorial service for that at Temple Beth Emmett a number of years ago. You could just feel, even on Zoom, they were feeling their vulnerability to evildoers threatening them. You know, not, not just the deranged gunmen, but the wicked people prodding them from high places that's going on in our discourse these days. Um, expressed so well in this line from Psalm 27, when evil dealers draw near to eat my flesh, my foes and enemies are they. They trip and they fall. So, you know, picturing hostile actors who threaten you or your loved ones, picturing them tripping and falling, picturing them being frustrated, um, can really be cathartic. Uh, and, and the psalmist was free to express this in their hymn to God. So uh, Paul, who, who writes a you know, considerable portion of the New Testament, um, quotes a great line from Proverbs about, it's actually about not seeking revenge. And it goes, if your foe is hungry, feed him bread. And if he thirsts, give him water. In so doing, you heap live coals on his head. So like, you know, that's kind of embarrassing to us. That doesn't seem like really pious Christian, you know, but mercy and anger easily coexist in our experience. We can have great anger towards people that we're, we've decided to withhold vengeance against or to show mercy. The ancient writers grant way more latitude of expression than so many, I don't know, half inch deep, pious Christianities do. So the psalm reflects the intensity, the many layers of injury danger. It's, it's a thread running through the whole length of it. This experience of being subjected to close range personal hostility, often in the psalms, it involves the betrayal of, of a family or friends. Like this next line, um, though a camp is marshaled against me, my heart will not fear. Though battle is roused against me, Nonetheless, do I trust? So Robert Alter, the translator um, I'm using here, has a footnote on these images. And the footnote reads, though a camp is marshaled, though battle is roused. It's not entirely clear, he writes, whether the speaker is literally under assault by armed enemies seeking to kill them, or whether the martial imagery is a metaphor for other kinds of hostility. Later in the psalm, in verse 12 at any rate, the voracious foes attempt to destroy him by underhanded judicial proceedings rather than military means. I, I think of court rulings or jury verdicts that don't render justice or what it's like when I've had friends who were sued by someone with deep pockets who just wanted to hurt them. Rousing others against us. This is such a prominent part of our politics now, isn't it? And it's gotten so personal, angry, hostile, powerful voices amplified by profit generating Facebook algorithms, rousing others against us, sowing suspicion and alarm in our own, sometimes in our own family members toward us, toward perspectives we hold, sometimes toward who we are. It's like dumping toxic waste into some of our closest connections. Nonetheless, do I trust? So in the Psalms, trust is never a naive or a, a barrier head in the sand trust. 
It's always trust in the face of fear, hostility, threatening circumstance. The writer is part of a community, a, a, a tradition going back hundreds of years that has devoted itself to nurturing a sense of God as a being one might trust, which was so different than the surrounding gods who were capricious, who could care less about their worshipers in the ancient Near East there. Maybe a shorthand way of saying it is, this is the God of the black church, of black Jesus, not the God of what my old pastor who just died recently used to call the stumbling monster of Christendom. <laughs> he was awesome. This is the kind of trust practiced by Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu, Emily, um, spoke of last Sunday, not, not the imposters of market-savvy, brand-conscious, culturally relevant churchiani. So this ancient writing from a very different world is modeling how to make this inward move toward a divine being who can be trusted in spite of so much that cannot be trusted around us. And it, so it's like if, if we want to, if it scratches a niche that we have, we can learn to practice this inward move by using these psalms. Nonetheless, do I trust. One thing do I ask of the Lord, it is this that I seek, that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the Lord's sweetness, and to gaze on his palace. It, it was just so sweet to hear Micah reading these lines. I don't know, it was so affecting. Um, For he hides me in his shelter on the day of evil. He conceals me in the recesses of his tent. On a rock he raises me up. And now my head rises over my enemies around me. Let me offer in his tent sacrifices with joyous shouts. Let me sing an hymn to the Lord. Again, the psalmist is part of this community, this long tradition that has imagined, that has envisioned, you could say cobbled together from surrounding forms and structures of the ancient Near East, something that fosters experience, you know, albeit in fits and starts, of a divine presence that feels like home. Uh, a divine presence that feels like being in a safe place, a sanctuary, like being in the calm eye of a hurricane, where all the chaos is, is hushed. And the temple is the, in Jerusalem is the physical sign, the representation of this sense of deep belonging and safety, of, of sanctuary. Of course, the the writer couldn't live in the sanctuary 24-7. Probably the writer couldn't even visit the sanctuary because the first temple had been destroyed by the Babylonian armies. But obviously the writer wants to. And, and the desire for a thing is a taste of the thing desired. In fact, the psalm probably comes from a place of, of the impossibility of dwelling in this in this place but again the desire for the sanctuary for the belonging for for this deeply spiritual home is is a taste of the thing desired and always in the psalm the surrounding sense of vulnerability of insecurity 
Hear, O Lord, my voice when I call, and grant me grace and answer me. Of you my heart said, seek my face. That's pretty subtle. Of you my heart said, seek my face. It's not saying, God said to me, seek my face. It says, of you my heart said, seek my face. It's like the divine presence is just within the prayer there, and he's not distinguishing God from his own higher. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in wrath. You're my help. Abandon me not, nor forsake me, O God of my rescue. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord would gather me in. Teach me, O Lord, your way, and lead me on a level path because of my adversaries. And isn't that so tender? Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will gather me. You know, when certain loved ones die, we may well feel forsaken by them. It's not like it's rational. It's not like they intended, but the, the effect on us is we, we feel forsaken by loved ones when they die. Um, I read that the part of the brain that bonds to a parent or primary caregiver as a child is the same part of the brain that bonds to a romantic partner. So they're leaving even by death feels like being forsaken sometimes. There's such, such vulnerabilities we carry as human beings. With the next verse, we return to the anguish caused uh, by this close at hand hostility. Don't put me in the, in the maw of my foes for false witnesses rose up against me, outrageous deposers. Another layer of this special interest in the Psalms, danger from foes. Then again, the pivot. If I but trust to see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living, hope for the Lord. Let your heart be firm and bold and hope for the Lord. Um, you know, I read this as a human from the distant past, speaking to themselves as we all do, not addressing a congregation or any other audience. That's how I, that's how I like to read the Psalms. I, I see them composing these words uh, to express a longing in their heart to trust a higher power who cares. And, and when I regard it that way, it feels as though I'm decoding an intelligence from elsewhere, a being from beyond my like, hyper-contemporary world, working things out that trouble them at 2.30 in the morning as they lay awake in the dark, and, it, and it, the effect for me is that like, it opens up a path that I too might want to explore. Here, uh, here endeth my offering for day, my meditations on Psalm 27. So for our um, meditation time, I take a couple, three minutes for this. I think I'll, what I'll do is I'll slow read the Psalm. So I'll just offer a few verses at a time with a pause in between um, many portions of the psalm, with maybe like a 10 second pause between the portions. And um, I wanna suggest if this works for you, not trying so much to make the psalm your own, um, but l just listening to the words of the psalm as though it were like a fellow human being um, who was sharing some vulnerable thing 
Um, like you might listen to a fellow sufferer at, at an AA meeting sharing, and you know want you want to support them by listening, by hearing them, by receiving their offering, so to speak, by just learning from them, by hearing their experience. So let's begin by um, centering down. Just uh, get yourself comfortable where you're where you're sat. Um, maybe start by taking a few. Deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. As you do that, you might notice the contact between the body and the chair. Just feel yourself settled in place. Another deep breath in and then out. And I'll slow read this. The Lord is my light and my rescue. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's stronghold. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers draw near me to eat my flesh, my foes and my enemies are they. They trip and they fall. Though a camp is marshaled against me, my heart shall not fear. Though battle is roused against me, none the less do I trust. Now we pause. One thing do I ask of the Lord, it is this that I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the Lord's sweetness and to gaze on his palace. For he hides me in his shelter on the day of evil. He conceals me in the recess of his tent. On a rock he raises me up. And now my head rises over my enemies around me. Let me offer in his tent sacrifices with joyous shouts. Let me sing an hymn to the Lord. We pause. Hear, O Lord, my voice when I call, and grant me grace and answer me. Of you my heart said, Seek my face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in wrath. You are my help. Abandon me not, nor forsake me, O God of my rescue. Though my father and mother forsook me, the Lord would gather me in. Pause. Teach me, O Lord, your way, and lead me on a level path because of my adversaries. Do not put me in the maw of my foes, for false witnesses rose up against me, outrageous deposers. 
if I but trust to see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living, hope for the Lord, let your heart be firm and bold, and hope for the Lord. The final pause. Amen.